Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network and the third episode of our special More Than Turf podcast series. More Than Turf is a new series brought to you by FMC and the FMC True Champions program, and it examines some of the job responsibilities of superintendents and other turf pros far beyond the agronomic details of tees, greens, and fairways. I'm Matt Lowell, managing editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine and the host of More Than Turf, and I'm joined today by P.J. Salter. P.J. is the director of agronomy at Riviera Country Club in Coral Gables, Florida, and he's the author of a very entertaining and informative email series he calls Budget Beatdown. In this episode, P.J. and I dive into his budget philosophy, how he handles annual increases or decreases, how he handles reallocating line items if he saves money somewhere else, how much he spends on labor, how he keeps track of every number, and a lot more. Also, just a quick warning, we recorded this episode together in PJ's office in South Florida, and it rains a lot in the summer in South Florida. We avoided any audible raindrops, but there is a little thunder near the end of the episode. I managed to edit out the warning sirens that tell golfers to leave the course or that it's safe to return, but that thunder was just a part of the conversation. Before we dive in, a word from our sponsor, FMC is committed to bringing innovative solutions and industry support to improve how superintendents manage their course. From groundbreaking products to your own professional development as a superintendent, FMC is firmly committed to the future of the golf industry. Sign up for a free sample of the powerful premix Kalita fungicide at www.kalidafungicide.com and discover the benefits when a next-generation DMI Flutriafol meets a novel SDHI Fluindipir. Kalita fungicide will tackle your most problematic diseases, including anthracnose, take-all root rot, bipolaris leaf spot, large patch, brown patch, and fairy ring. And be sure to enroll in the FMC Give Back to Local Chapters program and learn how to earn real money directly for your local GCSAA chapter. It's all part of the FMC True Champions program. Online at www.fmctruechampions.com. And now, a budget beatdown with PJ Salter. PJ, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Fantastic. A little rainy here today in South Florida. It is. So, so many of the podcasts that we do on the Superintendent Radio Network are over the phone. Folks call in, but because of scheduling and happenstance and a little luck, we're actually sitting next to each other in your office at Riviera in Coral Gables, Florida. A little morning thunderstorm and taking some time from a course visit and a course tour and time together to uh, sit in your office and and talk about budgeting. I'd like to think of this as a studio today, if that's all right with you. It is a studio. There's there's studios, there's studio apartments, there's studio offices. Uh, It is the recording studio. So if folks haven't listened to the first two episodes of FMC More Than Turf, literally going deeper into anything that is not course agronomy, this episode focusing entirely on budgeting and... We picked you because 
you wrote some incredible emails. You were one of the, I think, five mentors for Green Start Academy last year. And rather than just leave your your mentee group hanging after that great event, you sent out emails until, I guess, time just got to be too much. And you've said a few times that you need 30 hours a day. Um, but you sent these great budgeting emails and figured who better to talk about budgeting than a very talented 39-year-old, really, industry star who, I think, if people don't know you, they really should. Well, uh, it's very flattering. Uh, I'm just fortunate to have worked for some really great people uh, that took the time to show me the ropes about budgeting, about everything golf course maintenance related. When I was in college, I was in a fraternity. I was the new member educator. One of the parts that I really enjoy about being a golf course superintendent uh, is mentoring the next generation of superintendents. Uh, and I know when I was trying to make the leap from uh, being an assistant or, or not the top guy to getting my first head job, budgeting is what I always ran into and more so the perception of being able to manage a budget because let's face it, nowadays uh, most golf courses have uh, more than a million dollars in their operating budget and then you throw capital in any given year whether it's $50,000 for equipment annually or doing a $10 million renovation. So you can see why uh, the people making the hiring decision might have pause at giving anybody who hasn't really managed a budget before that much money before a hesitation of giving them the opportunity. Even if, you know, they had the best greens in town, uh, you know, they were outstanding at running uh, a staff, uh, budgeting is very much a hurdle that uh, whether it's reality or perceived that we need to get over as assistants uh, to be successful and have an opportunity to really shine at the next level. You are 39 now. You've been in the industry full-time, really, since you were 23, Michigan State grad. So you've really been doing this for more than half your life. Between the early part, uh, when you're hourly, you're on the course, you're in, in high school, college, college studying, and now professional. At what point were you first given any real control over part of the budget? And, and who was that who, who gave you that responsibility? Uh, really, Jason Gerlach, uh, who I worked for, he was the golf course superintendent at the Golf Club of the Everglades. Uh, I served as second assistant there uh, in 2005 into 2006. That was my first job uh, right after graduating school. And uh, as a second assistant, my primary or one of my primary duties was overseeing all the fertilizer and pesticide applications. Uh, and one of the big roles in that was taking a monthly inventory, seeing what we had in stock, seeing what we used in the month, getting back with Jason and Mike Sankey, who was the first assistant at the time, and seeing what the plan was for the month ahead and actually getting the opportunity to price out uh, different products from different vendors. Uh, also taking feedback from Jason as to you know certain products he definitely wanted out of the golf course, and then placing those orders and managing that month over month. Um, and Jason was a master with spreadsheets, and so he would also bring Mike and I into the fold and just explain what he was doing at any given time on the budgeting. So even if we weren't touching that part of it, uh, he was very much big on showing it to us. So you know, we could feel comfortable when it became our turn. 
And you were how old at that point in time? Were you mid twenties? Uh, twenty three, right out of school. Wow. Okay. So yeah, you know, first shot at any of it. Um, uh, first crack at being an assistant from early on. I was fortunate enough uh, to work for somebody that you know saw the big picture of developing his assistants. You know, I've always tried to work for somebody that. Uh, wants to put as much into you as you want to put into them or their golf course. Um, and, you know, by no other uh, fortune than good luck, I ended up my first job working for Jason. I, had gra- I When I graduated, I sent out a bunch of a- resumes, and uh, Golf Club of the Everglades Jason hired me, and I didn't know how great of a mentor he was until I've now gotten to the point where, um, you know, like you said, 17 years into this, and I look back at the the, the mentors, Jason, uh, Eric Von Hoffen after that, and then Juan Gutierrez, uh, that have really shaped uh, me into the professional that I am today. You worked with Eric during your first go-around at Riviera. You were an assistant in the early to mid-2000s, the aughts. Um, what sort of budgeting experience did he give you? What sort of budgeting responsibility did you have your first time around here? So uh, Eric was big on just continuing what Jason did, exposing you to everything, but even more so. So Eric would take us to every Green Committee meeting, uh, and at every Green Committee meeting, he would go over the financials with the membership, you know, how we were doing in that month with the budget, how we were doing year to date. Uh, He would show us how he planned for capital projects, you know, uh, how we plan for purchasing capital equipment. Um, We need this this year. We're going to think next year we're going to need to replace these pieces of equipment. The year after, it's these pieces of equipment. So really getting everything onto a usable life and plugging that into a big spreadsheet. Uh, So each year now as we go up to put in for new equipment, we very much print off, you know, 90% 90% of the equipment that we need to purchase because it's all on a usable life. And then, you know, there's usually one or two new toys that come onto the market that uh, we hope to try out one or two of them. And then when you worked with Juan, I remember you saying earlier today, he hired you, but you and he started on the exact same day. So you're not equals coming in, but you are equals in terms of experience uh, right there in terms of time on the course. How did how did you handle that your last uh, system position before really taking over and running everything uh you know so what i really got great experience working for juan and working at ocean reef was in capital projects um so when juan was hired and then he brought me in and assembled his team uh nathan gingrich uh was a superintendent on the opposite course the hammock i was on the dolphin Eric Bennett was uh, the assistant uh, working under me on the Dolphin when I started. He is now the director of agronomy at Riviera. Um, we did a, a lot of projects in the you know the five years that I was there, the ten years that Juan was there, and he exposed all of us to all these capital projects. Um, the first year that I was there, we redid the greens and the greenside bunkers on the Dolphin course. The second summer, we did the fairway bunkers. Uh, we took us the the third summer. We had to redo a putting green and one par three on the golf course. The fourth summer, we regrassed every all the fairways, tees, and approaches to celebration. Um, so we learned so much about construction, about how to plan for construction, about how to manage contractors, 
how to keep projects on task, how to be successful. Uh, and budgeting is such a big part of that, you know, uh, as an assistant uh, or even as my first experience overseeing a renovation uh, of the greens at the Dolphin, never really having done that before, uh, you would think that the biggest thing you got to do is just get the grass to grow in successfully. But really, uh, the budget and executing the budget and staying on budget and staying on track are just as important as getting the grass to grow in. Um, they, you know, they go hand in hand. Uh, if your grass is growing in well, you're probably on budget. Uh, if you're having problems with the grass coming in, you're probably somewhere sidetracked on the budget. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier today that you've recently saved a significant amount of money on various plant protectants. I think it was, you saved $65,000 or something on fertilizer. And you're at a, a club, Riviera, where because of your track record, or because of everything that you've proved between your first and second go-arounds here, that you're very responsible. You're going to take care of things. You're not going to just burn through money. They let you reallocate that money. It's not you save it in column one and it's gone. You can save it in column one and apply it to column four and a different project. Have you always had that I don't want to call it a luxury, um, but there are a lot of courses where that's not the case, so maybe it is a little bit of a luxury. Have you always had that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've been very fortunate uh, to work at uh, private clubs that uh, you know had solid memberships, uh, solid financials, uh, and really leadership from the general manager, the president of the club, the board uh, of protecting and improving the asset. Uh, So it's always been that, you know, I put together a budget at the beginning of the year and each year that I do it, I think I get a little better at it, a little tighter at it, a little better at predicting what's going to come up. Uh, But then still every year is different here in South Florida. We've got weather to deal with. We all dealt with COVID in 2020 and and some of us are still carrying that into today. And, uh, you know, so things change, but I've always been fortunate enough that yeah, if I can find a saving that I can apply it to improve the golf course elsewhere. You know, here at Riviera, as we've been able to reduce our impact on the environment, reduce the amount of chemicals, the plant protectants that we put out on the golf course, we've been able to take a lot of that savings and apply it to doing more top dressing on the fairways, which in turn has improved drainage issues that we've had on the golf course. And the result of all that has been uh, fewer hours of cart path only golf following these summer rains that we get. And if anybody's out there has tried to play golf in South Florida <laughs> in July, uh, nobody wants to be walking from the cart path across the hole to find their ball with four clubs in their hand when it's 95 degrees and 100% humidity. It's it's pretty warm. The, uh, the weather app that I used today said I think it was about 87 or 88 degrees and it was going to feel like 98 or 99. It is... It is some thick air, PJ. You, you, you get used to it over time. Uh, uh, you're, you're wearing pants. I am not, because you have lived in Florida for the last 16 years, and I have not. Exactly. You get used to it, and if you were to come down here in the winter and it was 60 degrees, you'd be laughing at me being from Ohio. 
uh, that I've got my winter jacket on and a sweater on because I, of course, came from Michigan. And I think the first winter that I worked in Naples, uh, we would get like a 50-degree morning and I'd be the only loon out there in shorts and a T-shirt uh, <laughs> working. And now, I mean, you if it's 55, you're going to probably find me with a winter hat on. So uh, my friends up in Michigan that are listening, uh, I apologize. You you full Full adaptation and going back for holidays in Michigan a lot harder now than 15 years ago. So do you have any tips, any advice, even though you you have been fortunate to always be at those private clubs where you can reallocate the funds? Do you have any tips or advice that you've maybe picked up along the way or you maybe you picked it up from some of your, your Green Start Academy mentees on how to pitch a board or pitch members or just pitch ownership at, at, at uh, public clubs if they do say, well, you've saved the money here. Let's just take it out of your budget for next year. It's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, one of the things that Eric was great about teaching his assistants was, you know, you have to be able to communicate to your membership, your leadership, your board, you know, your owner. It doesn't matter if you're private club or single owner. you got to be able to to communicate to them in a language that they understand. Uh, in at the private clubs that I've had the uh, privilege to work at, uh, most of the board was made up at any given time of members that were successful in, in the private sector, You know whether they were running their own law practice, businesses, accountants, um, doctors. Uh, they all very much understand the bottom line. And so when you you, you have to figure out how to explain how the upfront cost is going to benefit the golfing experience, going to benefit the golf course, going to save time over, uh, save money over time, yeah, investing in uh, top dressing out here on the fairways in order to improve playability of the fairways and reduce the amount of time that members are on cart pass was something that was really big. And uh, it's it's been a no-brainer. So really trying to figure out how are you going to break down the numbers, get to the bottom line, and show how the investment is going to improve the experience. That's something that that everybody, I think, can understand. Your first assistant, Drew Camper, before he came to you, worked for a few years in Arizona for Sean Emerson, who was at Desert Mountain for 25 years. One of Sean's uh, budget philosophies is, he never wants to be a dollar over. He also never wants to be a dollar under. He doesn't want to go under the budget because he's afraid that you know, they'll, they'll say, "Well, you did it this way this year. You know, let's let's just take it away and you can you can work with a smaller budget." So he doesn't want to go over. He doesn't want to go under. Do you have any particular budget philosophies on terms of coming in on the number, or I, I don't even know. Yeah. Any any particular philosophies like that? Uh, so. Um, when I was an assistant, before I had kids, um, I read a lot more of the industry publications, cover-to-cover type stuff, uh, when I had more time to do it. Uh, and anybody out there that is looking to advance their career, you should really take the time and look at the magazine articles, uh, specifically from our trade magazines. You're going to learn so much about everything in the industry, and you're going to pick up a lot of talking points. Uh, one quote that I got out of the Florida Green 15 years ago uh, <laughs> was document or die. So they used to do a, a spotlight of a superintendent every month 
in their magazine, and they had a set amount of uh, set que- set questions that they would ask everybody. And it, sadly, I don't even remember who the superintendent was, but I remember very specifically it was it was always one of the questions: was, What was the best piece of advice you received as you were coming up? And he said, "Document or die." And one hundred percent, he was dead on. You know, I I I have developed. My budgeting philosophy or program is tracking everything I spend now in categories uh, that line up to the budget and then thinking about mid-year, what needs to be different next year, what I like what I'm doing this year, how I want to change things, and then looking back at the last six months of the previous year. So you've got mid-year. 12 months worth of data going into the next budget because we we set budgets in June for a fiscal year that starts in October and trying to see, okay, what did I miss this year? What do I want to add this year? And how can I move all those numbers around to not have a huge impact to the bottom line? Because again, going back to what we were just talking about, it all comes down to the bottom line. It doesn't matter uh, whether you're at Augusta National or you're at uh, any local small municipal golf course. We all have a bottom line, and how do we give our golfers, our members, the best experience at whatever that bottom line is? And so documenting things, documenting things, documenting things, keeping records uh, really has helped me learn how to better budget. Uh, in, in school, uh, especially uh, coming up all the way through high school, math was always my favorite subject because I like exact answers. And turf grass science is not always an exact answer. Uh, but I always love doing math problems. So each year it it almost becomes like a, you know, a personal challenge, a puzzle. It becomes uh, games not the right way because we're talking about real money, but uh, almost like a sport. How can I plan 12 months in advance almost to be dead on in the next year. So, you know, like we talked about, I've been fortunate enough where I I have worked for leadership that has never said, okay, we didn't spend that this year, uh, so you can't reallocate it, or we're going to lower your budget by that next year. So I've never really thought about it in terms of, um, you know, use it or lose it be dead on. I think we all like to come in just a touch under budget because it shows that we really are watching tightly uh, everything that we're trying to do on the golf course. But for me, it's always how can I get even more accurate each year that I build a history at a property? It's almost like tax returns where you almost don't want the big rebate over the course of the year because then you've overpaid over the course of a year and you'd rather just have that money. And you also don't want to have to pay you know, thousands and thousands of dollars in the first quarter of a year. I'm talking about, you know, personal income. Yeah, yeah. Because then you've underpaid. You want a $0 return because then you've been spot on on exactly what you want to pay. Are you normally a, like a, you said just a tick under? Yeah. Or or where where have you been historically? Historically, plus or minus a percent. That's pretty Um, incredible. Yeah, so, you know, we're, we're, we're tight. You know, some of the, something that we, talked about with the Green Start Academy is that, you know, as you start to develop uh, your budgeting skills, you got to think about the budget is the financial expression of everything you do on the golf course. So, uh, you know, you talk about a guy going out to 
mow a green. And as you picture him going across the green, running uh, a walk mower, and think about you know that image you've all seen somewhere on the internet, just dollar signs or money's just flowing out of every inch of him and the machine and the green, uh, the trees, everything around it. So everything out on the golf course has a cost associated to it. You know, when, when somebody's mowing a green, you've got labor, you've got workman's comp, you've got insurance, you've got equipment purchases from capital, you've got equipment R&M, you've got gasoline, you've got mechanics time repairing it. There's just everything tied to that budget. And so as you develop more as a manager of the golf course and you document things, it's all ultimately going to tie back to that budget. And so I think the more time you can spend planning, which is hard because a lot of us want to be out on the golf course, but I'm telling you, every minute you spend documenting, recording, and working on your budget is going to pay off out there. How many documents, how many folders and spreadsheets do you have? We're we're at your desk. You have your, uh, let's look here, you have your Dell desktop, which you are not logged into because you've been out on the course all morning. Do you have a budget folder on there, or is it just folders and folders and folders or or what kind of system do you use so the course of the year you know another another great quote uh, i like to quote people who have given me great advice in in my life and father donaher catholic central ninth grade catholic faith talked about organization was the key to success (laughs) and this was back like uh 1998 uh so back you know when i was in high school we were you know we still had the computer lab we didn't have you know everybody with a computer at their desk so a, di- a little bit different area for the uh the younger guys out in the crowd there were no cell phones no no cell phones so he had this incredible filing system right behind his desk it took up probably 15 linear feet and was probably six shelves high and like so you know we printed everything off back then uh textbooks assignments and everything was there and they saw like you know once a week he'd tell the class organization is the key to success over time i've gotten it down to a couple key documents that i keep in a budgeting file and we talk about operating capital budgets uh as different things and operating budget really um is where i've got a couple key sheets i've got the operating budget itself which the club gives me uh, and then I plug in numbers on categories. I work with my boss. I work with the controller, the green committee, and the board on um, what our bottom line is going to be and then how to allocate that. And then uh, in within that workbook, I've got an annual budget, and then I've got a tab for virtually every line item in the category, which tracks how I'm going to spend things in month by month, what things cost. So, example, uh, we're going to put... 30 loads of sand out uh, on the fairways in June. Uh, a load of sand costs $900. That's $27,000 in sand. And, and it's all into formulas. I love spreadsheets. I love math. I love numbers. <laughs> uh, and what's great about spreadsheets is you can copy and paste, move things around easily. Uh, most times I take the current year's fiscal operating budget, change the number on it, uh, and start working on the next year's. Uh, as soon as something comes up in my head uh, and I come back to the desk, I'll go and say, hey, I'm, I'll make this note in next year's budget so I know I missed this here or I want to change that there. So I've got the operating budget that I work off of, and then I've got a budget track. So every time that I sign an invoice, I code it. It goes to a certain category within my budget. I send it up to accounting. 
that category, my signature, and my date is accounting's way of knowing that this is authorized, it's in the budget, go ahead and pay it. If it's you know over X amount of dollars or something that's out of budget, there's always an explanation attached to it. Emails make that easy. I can you know send an email to my boss, the controller, and the assistant controller all at once so that when the assistant controller gets it, there's no hold up on pay. And then again, it also, that whole budget track year over year over year helps me see where I might have missed an item in a particular category in a particular month so that I can go back to the next year's budget and try and get better than better at it. And then lastly, it is the planned plant protectant and fertilizers for the entire golf course for the year. So we've worked uh, extensively with Dr. Steve Kammerer from the USGA. Uh, he's our uh, regional agronomist, has a really strong background in uh, chemicals, and we've developed a great plant protectant program. And so we predict what we're going to need to use at different times of years to keep our greens healthy. Uh, you know, as we were talking earlier, Florida is like the haven for diseases on greens because of how so much many. moisture, how much heat we get. And so we've got all that planned out. Uh, and then we've got a tab for wall-to-wall fertilizer applications. We've got a tab for foliar applications on greens, granular applications on green, tab for landscape beds. Um, all that stuff ties back to applications, ties back to that guy um, mowing a green with money coming out of him from every angle. Same with any time you send a fertilizer sprayer out there. And then that's all time to timing within the budget. And and so I, I work with the operating budget, a budget track, and then specifically when I plan to put different fertilizers and plant protectants out throughout the year. Uh, and documenting those three things and staying on top of the other big cost that we all have, which is labor. And most of us probably uh, manage labor through an actual payroll system that's provided to you from your club. Uh, we use the Kronos platform. Uh, and then what I do every two weeks when we process payroll, we get paid every other week, is I, I specifically track how many hours of overtime the guys work. And if I can keep the overtime hours within budget, uh, usually the payroll number falls right in line. And with Florida and storms in the summer, times of the years come where we have to, uh, you know, allocate more overtime, but then it goes back to what we were talking about previously about communicating in a language that your leadership, your membership can understand. Uh, if we're behind, we have to explain why we're behind and why we had to spend more overtime, why we had to put out more fertilizer, but all that is there somewhere if you track it and then it's simply a matter of putting it into a format to whatever audience you have to deliver it to. One of the numbers that translates across courses, no matter public, private, nine holes, 18 holes, 27, 36, 108, whatever, is percentage of budget that is labor. And I don't know that we've asked this on our state of the industry. Maybe we should, but what, two numbers, what percentage normally of your overall budget is labor? And then you mentioned overtime. Uh, I know the guys normally work 86 hours every two, uh, two weeks per pay period on the crew. To, uh, what's the normal overtime rate? Sure. Uh, so uh, percentage of payroll to total operating budget is typically 55% okay. uh, at Riviera is our payroll, uh, and the other 45% is other operating expenses. And, uh, you know, for those of you out there that are new to operating budget, payroll would be salaries, wages, benefits taxes and then all other operating 
uh, expenses are, you know, any line item out there, how much, you know, sand, contract labor, uh, fertilizers, plant protectants, irrigation, irrigation repair and maintenance, um, uh, uh, equipment repair and maintenance, all those items that don't directly go into uh, somebody's paycheck every week are what the other operating expenses are. And, and one thing that I do every year when I submit my current budget or my request for a budget is I always take straws of the market comps around town to see where other courses are at. And we're all right around uh, here in this area, about 55 to 60% of our operating budgets go to labor. And, you know, that would make 40 to 50% uh, go to other operating um other operating expenses. And then as far as overtime goes, uh, overtime is probably about 5% of our uh, total payroll expenses and probably about 10% uh, of our salaries and and wages. So, uh, you know, you can look at it one of two ways. It's 10% extra of what we're just paying in in wages, uh, or it is uh, if you factor in payroll taxes and benefits, it, it's more like 5%. A quick question about turnover, because you have, I don't want to call them old. They're not old. They're they are a veteran staff. A lot of the guys were here even when you were an assistant uh, more than a decade ago, and they're still here. So they know what they're doing. They have that institutional knowledge. How much does that benefit the bottom line to have guys who you don't need to train every year or two years you don't have that constant churn you have people like carlos or i know uh uh, ed's been here for what 25 years you know to have somebody who knows what they're going to do day in and day out you don't have to go out and train them uh, because they're coming in new off the street it's uh it's huge um you know again when we when we talk budgeting uh there's a huge cost that goes into just hiring an employee you know before they even step foot on the golf course and, and have to have their you know first few days of training and then learning how to operate different pieces of equipment, do different jobs, you, know, you have background checks, the cost of that, the cost of uh, nowadays most of us have to work with a recruiting website to even try and find um, hourly employees to come and interview. All that stuff costs a lot of money. You have a whole HR department that part of their wages go to helping you find labor. So anytime you have some some stability within your crew, uh, you're saving a lot of, of money. And then when you talk about you get somebody in here and it could be 90 days uh, to get them fully up to speed. Uh, so you're either taking one of your assistants and having them work one-on-one with an individual for a lot of time to get them comfortable with what they're doing, or you're taking one of your seasoned employees and having them show a new employee the ropes, but then that takes away uh, from what that seasoned employee could be doing on the golf course. And so really creating a culture where people are going to stay long-term benefits the bottom line, benefits the operation. Um, And and you're right, when I came back uh, after about five years away and was able to step into the role as director of agronomy, we had... 11 uh, full-time hourly employees on the golf course at that time, and 10 of them uh, had worked with me as an assistant. So it it was just a tremendous benefit. You know, not only did they know what they were doing, but we had this relationship, uh, and it was, you know, it was like, you know, pick up where we left off. As Eric von Hoffen used to talk about 
fly the plane. You know, the plane was already up in the air and, and these guys just kept it going while I myself got comfortable in my new role here. We started with how you came up and how you worked with uh, your superintendents when you were an assistant. Now you have three great assistants. We mentioned uh, Drew Camper. Uh, there's also Mike Smith and Mike Hines, younger guys. I think they're all at least at least five years younger than you, about five to eleven years younger than you. Um, all could very easily in the future be a superintendent of their own course. At what point in time did you start to give them responsibility on any fraction of the budget? Um, much in a way like uh, I came up at Golf Club of the Everglades. Um, you know, I, I like to give guys some responsibility without making it a formal thing, without putting any extra pressure. What do we say in relationships? Labels add pressure to things. Uh, so, you know, it's more so trying to get them to understand that, again, I keep going back to the example of the guy mowing the greens, but everything we're doing out here has something to do with the budget. So one thing that uh, Drew does uh, as the golf course superintendent uh, is he takes all of our fertilizer and plant protectant applications and puts them into a program called Sparks. You know, a lot of you out there in the audience are probably familiar with that. And it, it takes a product, takes a price, and shows you how much of any given element you're applying over time and then what the cost of that element is based off of what you input for what you pay for it. Um, I really do think that if we can control fertilizer and, and, and plant protectant applications, and labor, pretty much everything else falls into line pretty routinely here in Florida. So for them, for him to get to take a look at that, that I think is a big part of what he'll have to do when, when he moves on from here. And then Mike Smith takes care of putting the inventory together every month uh, so that I can turn it in, uh, just like I used to do at Golf Club of the Everglades. Mike Smith, Mike Hines, Andrew very much uh, are able to order things that they need that are within the operating budget. Uh, so they're, they're getting exposed that way. And then once a month, we like to sit down, take a look at where the numbers are, like Eric used to do with me. And we talk about anomalies in the number, why something might be significantly over one month than what we thought it would be significantly under than what it, we might thought it'd be. And then talk about how we're doing in, in any given category currently year to date and what we've got left to spend so that you know if you look at things that way on a monthly basis uh they you start to understand that okay i went over a little bit this month for this reason so where am i going to save that so i can still come in where we need to be or how am i going to explain why we needed to go over there so really trying to get that education and then when we have our green committee meetings monthly uh we typically do a presentation and everybody's got a part. It's not just me uh, gas bagging like I am here for an hour. I try and take a little bit of a backseat. Mike Hines talks about what we're doing in the environment every month. Mike Smith typically talks about a project or two that we've got going on on the golf course because, hey, you all know we always have projects going on on the golf course. And as Drew is the closest uh, to, to moving on to his own head position, uh, he gets to put in the. I get. To, I like to put him in the hot seat and make him talk about green speeds here at Riviera, especially during season. Everybody wants fast greens, and sometimes the weather makes that a challenge. And other times of the year, the weather makes it great. 
but uh, Drew talks about all that goes into making the greens what they are at any given time of year. And any of that hot seat experience uh, pays dividends when when you go on to interview for your own position or when you're back in the chair and you're having to be on the hot seat at a green committee meeting. And then, of course, I'm there. Um, these guys are great. They've been doing it for a couple of years for me now. They rarely need me to, to, to step in and say anything. But uh, if they do, there's the safety net there as we're all learning and trying to get better. Last question, because you still have things to do even with, well, it looks like it finally stopped raining, so that's good. <laughs> and I say that, and there's literally more thunder in the background. I, so maybe it's not going to stop raining. I could knock on wood fast enough. <laughs> I swear I didn't time it like that. Whether there's rain outside or not, there's still things to do. You wrote for a while these tremendous emails, budget beatdowns. And again, they were for the group of mentees that you were assigned to as part of Green Start Academy. I think you were one of five or six industry leaders who were mentors last year at that event. Is there any way that those are coming back anytime soon? And if they are, is there any way that you would open up a mailing list, not just to those mentees, but to anybody in the industry who might want to read those? So uh, Mr. Weinberg, 11th grade economics, he used to say, you know, listen up, you have to get this stuff. If you don't get economics, don't worry. There's, there's still hope for you to find employment after you graduate uh, you can work at McDonald's, or you could be a politician. Uh, so there's this, this just funny little old man uh, that was just so dry. But one of the things that I re- really remember learning from him that has carried on in life is talking about opportunity costs. He was the first one that explained opportunity costs. So uh, with everything we do... There's a cost associated to it, and time management is something now, as I've gotten a little bit older, that I often think about. So if I do one thing, I can't do something here. And, and as you know, we've talked about this week, uh, as we spent some time together, I, I do wish there were 30 hours in the work week because you know, with three kids, uh, having a full-time job, some things I just can't get to as much as I'd like to get to. I don't read the train magazines like I've told you out in the audience uh, like I used to and and like I think that everybody out there should. Uh, I would be super interested in getting uh, those back going because they were a ton of fun. Um, like Matt said, uh, any any of the guys from uh, the Tiftons, we actually we, we branded ourselves, uh, my mentee group were the Tiftons, uh, I was looking for a much more interesting name, but it was like pulling teeth. So I did what leaders did and made a decision, and we were the Tiftons. So I had, I, I really had a lot of fun with the emails that we did, and tried to take you know virtual presentations and, and figure out how could we connect each other and make this more one-on-one in a virtual world. Um, and I, I would love to share that with anybody that wants to improve, wants to get better, just wants to learn. Because, again, I sit here today as the director of agronomy at Riviera uh, because I had mentors that took the time to show me the ropes. And it wasn't just, you know, be out there, work, work, work. You take care of what I need you to take care of, and I'm going to take care of what I need to take care of, and, you know, that's it. Um, So I would be very much interested in in, uh, reviving those 
and uh, getting them out to anybody who wants to participate and getting some feedback on them. Because, um, you know, like you mentioned, Matt, uh, when we would go around the Zoom screen at our individual Tifton meetings every week, I'd try and get a talking point or two and then listen. Uh, and, and I did learn things from other guys about how they handled crew members, how they handled different situations. And uh, I've got a lot still to learn, too. So I think that that would be, be great to bring the budget beat down back. Let's get back in the gym. Well, let's let the Riviera financial year start October 1, get those back in, and uh, budget beatdowns, the 2021-22 edition. Looking forward to it. P.J. Salter, the Director of Agronomy at Riviera in Coral Gables, Florida. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you. My thanks to P.J. Salter for taking some time to discuss his budget philosophy in this third episode of More Than Turf. My thanks to all of you for listening. And my thanks to our sponsor, FMC, and their FMC True Champions program. From groundbreaking products to your own professional development as a superintendent, FMC is firmly committed to the future of the golf industry. Sign up for a free sample of the powerful premix Kalita fungicide at www.kalidafungicide.com and discover the benefits when a next-generation DMI flutriafol meets a novel SDHI fluindapyr. Kalita fungicide will tackle your most problematic diseases, including anthracnose, take-all root rot, bipolaris leaf spot, large patch, brown patch, and fairy ring. And be sure to enroll in the FMC Give Back to Local Chapters program and learn how to earn real money, real cash, directly to your local GCSAA chapter. It's all part of the FMC True Champions program online at www.fmctruechampions.com. Subscribe to the Superintendent Radio Network wherever you listen to podcasts for new episodes of Beyond the Page, Off the Course, Greens with Envy, Tartan Talks, and more than turf, which this season highlights industry leaders sharing their perspectives on communication, managing staff, developing talent, and more. For everybody here at Golf Course Industry, I'm Matt Lowell. Thanks so much for listening.